Thanks for checking out the weekly sermon from Church of the Resurrection. We pray that God will use this message to speak to you and help you grow in your faith journey. We'd like to invite you to join us next week at one of our services, whether in live worship online at court.org live or in person at one of our locations in the Kansas City area. Church of the Resurrection is one church in multiple locations. To learn more about our service times and ministries, please visit Cora.org. We hope you enjoy this message. My name is Tom Langhofer, and I serve as pastor of Recovery Ministries here at the church. As we continue in worship, I invite you to hear these words of scripture from Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And in 2 Timothy, we read these words. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. May God add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of Scripture. Well, for five weeks, we are taking a look at what it means to become better. And I think each and every one of us has this restlessness, this desire to become better, to become better at life, to become better in relationships, to become better parents or spouses or partners or coworkers or colleagues or, or disciples or humans. We have this desire for more. And, and so one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to spend five weeks focusing in on that desire to become better and the role that our habits play in actually redefining our life and helping us to become the best versions of the people God created us to be. And we're focusing on habits largely because our habits drive us. They, they define our, our life. And most of the time, the habits that we're engaged in, they, they don't necessarily help us to become better. They, they keep us in this ordinary, regular rhythm of daily living. And the habits that we long for, that we need in order to become better, are habits that typically draw us toward God. Because God gives us our rest. God uh, solves our, our restlessness when it comes to our desire to become better. And so we need to pay attention to the habits that we engage in that would lead us toward God and replace uh, the habits that we're engaging in currently with those kinds of habits. And so last week we focused on the first of our five simple habits or essential practices that lead us toward God by paying attention to worship and prayer and the role that worship and prayer has in our daily rhythm of life to make us better to help us become redefined in, in the life and love of Jesus Christ. Today, we're gonna to switch our focus and we're gonna focus more on scripture and the study of scripture as an essential practice or as one of the simple habits that might redefine who we are, enabling us to become better. And so as we begin this sermon, I wanna invite you to, to maybe wrestle with a few questions. And the first question is this, how well do you know scripture? How familiar are you with uh, the holy text? 
Uh, What kind of daily rhythm or relationship or habit do you practice when it comes to the study of scripture? How central is it to your life? These are some of the things I want you to begin thinking about. And this past week, I had uh, an encounter that actually dealt with scripture, that, that dealt with uh, our, our proximity to scripture. And I had this encounter with a guy that, that I didn't know all that well. We, we met up at a coffee shop. And, and the reason we met up at a coffee shop was about a month ago, uh, I was in the middle of a workout routine and, and he uh, works out at the same place I work out in. And in the middle of our, our workout, he just randomly approached me and he interrupted uh, the workout session and he, he wanted to tell me about something that was happening in his life. And, uh, and so he met me right in my like moment of, of fatigue and, and duress. And, and what he did was he said, hey, I, I wanna share with you something that I've been walking through. And, and uh, to give you a picture of what this guy is like, he doesn't look anything like me. He's actually really fit. He's, he's, he's big, he's, he's a mid thirties, father of three. He's been in and out of the church, but he's the guy in the gym that, that people like, kind of admire because he can do anything and everything. He's one of those Ironman triathlete kinds of people. And, and so when he approaches you in the middle of a workout, you're like, what is happening, especially when you're out of shape and grimacing the way that I typically do. And so he interrupts me and he says, hey, I, I want to talk to you about something that's happened uh, in my life over the last six months. And, and, uh, and the reason he wanted to talk to me in that particular moment, because he knew that I was a pastor. And so, so I, I stopped what I was doing and I, and I listened. And I said, what, what's been going on? And he said, well, you know, I've been really discerning and having a hard time making decisions. And so I've been uh, getting all sorts of input and advice from different podcasters or, or blogs or, or authors or, or different kinds of input about how it is that I can make better decisions because I've been struggling with my decisions. And, and more specifically, he said, I was looking for how I might uh, make the right kinds of decisions with an eye focused on God. And so I, I was listening and I was intrigued. And, and at that point I was no longer working out and I was actually uh, level breathing. And so he continued by saying, you know, all of that, that work, trying to discern how it is that I can make better decisions. I, I realized all of these different points of input, they were citing scripture, they were pointing to God or they were talking about, uh, you know, tenants of the faith. And I realized that I've been in the church and out of the church my whole life, but I'd never actually read scripture. And so he said to me, six months ago, I decided that it was time for me now to start reading scripture daily. And so he set up a a 15 minute uh, alarm clock that woke him up 15 minutes before he typically wakes up. And after going to the bathroom, he said, I'd set a timer for five minutes and I resolved to read scripture for the first five minutes of every day. And after he moved through that five minute period of time reading scripture, uh, then he would spend the next 10 minutes reflecting over what he had just read with an eye on decision-making and specifically where God is in the midst of our decision-making. And after the balance of that 10 minutes after reading for the first five, he would pray a prayer of thanksgiving to God, thanking God for the day. And and he said, so I've been doing that for, for six months. And I was listening to him just like in disbelief in the middle of my workout. And, and I, I thought to ask him this question, well, like, how's it going? And, and how far are you in, in the Bible? And he, he quickly responded. He said, I'm, I'm through second Chronicles. And I'm like, well, well, that's like not even half of the way through the, the Old Testament. You haven't even gotten to the really good stuff. He said, I know, but, but what I've read every day so far has already taught me so much. And he began to recount all of the things that he's learned from, from his five-minute rhythm and practice of reading scripture daily. He said, I've learned that, that my decisions don't necessarily matter all that much. I, I've watched as people have made good decisions and bad decisions. And, and regardless of the decisions that they were making that were right or that were wrong, God was with them the whole time. And I've realized through figures like King David, who makes some really bad decisions, 
that God continues to, to walk with us and to bring good forth from them. And he talked about King Solomon and the emergence of the, of the Jerusalem temple. And so he said, as I've been reading the, the scripture over the last six months in a daily kind of fashion, he said, I've been set free. My life has changed because I realized that there's not as much pressure that we need to apply to the decisions that we make because God is going to be with us always. God never leaves us and God can bring forth good from whatever it is that we decide. The mistakes that we make or even the best decisions, God can, can still remain steadfast. He loves us just the same. And so he, he wanted to talk to me about that. And then he said, what has happened in his life over the last six months has, has freed him up to imagine new kinds of visions, new kinds of realities. And he wants to do a 90-day whole man challenge where he starts to engage other men in, in, in daily practices that, that pertain to scripture reading, that pertain to devotion and, and gratitude journals and, and, and healthy eating. And of course, a workout regimen because that's his, his bailiwick. But it was just this fascinating conversation. I mean, here was a 30-year-old or mid-30s, father of three, strong guy who had it all, but he had never read scripture. And for six months now, he's been practicing this daily rhythm of reading scripture and it's changed him forever. It's allowed him to unlock a, a different version of the future that, that God has for him, a future filled with hope, full of unlimited possibilities. And he wanted to share that with me. So I wanna ask you, like, where do you see yourself in this story? Have you read through scripture? Do you have a daily discipline? Do you engage with the text? It is a part of your daily rhythm. Do you have a, a study habit when it comes to, to the reading of scripture? One of the things that we recognize about scripture and reading scripture is that this is an essential practice. This is a simple habit that will help us to become better. And, and it's something that we need to pay attention to largely because Jesus paid attention to it. Jesus was steeped in scripture. When you think about the mind that was Christ, it was a mind that was chock full of the words of scripture, the law and the prophets. When I think about Jesus and his connection to scripture, I'm reminded of the psalmist in the very first Psalm who describes how I imagine Jesus in his relationship with scripture. This is what we read in the first Psalm. The psalmist writes, happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. I believe that Jesus sat in scripture just like this. I think he meditated on God's words day and night. He was like a tree planted by this stream that was firmly rooted and, and he stood strong. He never withered, but he prospered in the face of whatever it is that was coming his way. And I think we need to be the same way. I think we need to have the same mind and the same relationship with the Holy Text. This is what the Apostle Paul urged the earliest Christian communities to understand. He says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And Jesus was always in scripture. It filled his life. He was rooted in it. And you see that throughout the gospels. In the gospel of Matthew, Jesus faced adversity of all different kinds, nearly at every turn in his public ministry. Largely in the gospel of Matthew, it came at the hands of his pharisaical froze, these, these legal experts that would always challenge Jesus and tempt Jesus and test Jesus based on his knowledge and understanding of scripture. And you get to see that in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, this, this encounter, this challenge that Jesus had to face with this crowd of, of Pharisees. And this is what we read in Matthew 22. When the Pharisees gathered together, one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. 
teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. In this instant, you see this this scene where this crowd of Pharisees circled around Jesus, challenging him, wanting to know if he actually knows what's the greatest in the eyes of God. What is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus, without blinking, responds. He doesn't think, he doesn't hesitate. Without blinking, he answers their question because he is that rooted in scripture. It was a part of him. Even under duress, he could recall scripture. He He could live with it. He could stand firm based on his relationship to scripture. He was like this strong tree planted by this stream who would never wither, but would always prosper. Jesus faced these kinds of trials and temptations and tests everywhere that he went. And not always were they at the hands of the Pharisees. Largely in Matthew, he would face some of the same kinds of tests and challenges and trials that we face. And I love that in the gospel of Matthew, what you see moments after Jesus is baptized in the Jordan by his his cousin, John, the spirit leads him into the wilderness where he's by himself. And in the wilderness, he begins to face the same kinds of trials or tests or challenges that we face when he's all alone. Uh, there's things that, that, that serve as like hunger cravings or, or temptations to, to use power that isn't really ours or, to, or to, to move away from who we actually are in relationship with God. This is where Jesus faces those kinds of temptations. In Matthew 4, this is what we read. Uh, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Can you picture Jesus all alone, famished and fatigued and and the devil in that moment meets him at his his weak point, at his weakest. And then he tempts him by saying, I know that you're hungry. If you're so hungry, don't you know you have the power to turn all of these stones into bread? And, And there would have been stones all around him because of the rocky terrain of the wilderness. Jesus could have had all that he wanted to eat. He could have had fast food. I mean, when in your life have you been tempted with the, 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 the lure of fast food? Jesus, even though he's famished and fatigued and, and tempted with the promise of, of fast food, he, he doesn't give in and he doesn't blink. Without hesitating, he cites scripture again. He cites Deuteronomy 8. He says in response to the devil's temptation, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. To recall scripture so effortlessly, After a 40-day period of time in the wilderness, fatigued and and famished, Jesus, even then without blinking, doesn't hesitate because he's firmly planted uh, in scripture, in the word of God. He does this three times uh, in the wilderness, which means he doesn't do this just once, but three times he's able to withstand, to stand firm and to be strong. I'm gonna ask you once more, where are you in your relationship with scripture? What is your daily practice? What is your daily habit? Do you meditate on it day and night? Do you, do you open? Do you look at it at all? One of the things we recognize, if you want to become better, we need to engage in the practice or the simple habit of, of studying scripture. Jesus' familiarity with the Holy Text, it, it allowed him to be bold. It allowed him to be courageous. It allowed him to stand firm in the knowledge of, of, of God's love always. And, and one of the things I like is that, that he's this tree planted by this stream that doesn't wither or prosper, but he's even that strong when he's facing death. In those moments when words fail us, when it's hard to say anything, let alone the right thing, even then 
Jesus is able to, to fall upon and to rely upon the word of God. In the gospel of Matthew at the very end and in the 27th chapter, as Jesus is preparing to breathe his last, Jesus cries out from the cross. And this is what he cries out. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now upon first blush, this sounds like a cry of dereliction or, or doubt. But as you dive into this deeper, what you recognize is that the very last word that Jesus offers from the cross is is not necessarily a human cry of of doubt or dereliction, but it's the, the recitation of the first verse of a song that was impressed upon his heart. This is the opening line of the 22nd Psalm, a a song that he sang to God that that doesn't end in doubt or confusion or dereliction. It ends with confidence and, and strength, which means Jesus was singing a song of praise, a confident hallelujah to God with his last word on the cross. In those moments that words failed, these are the words that he offered. As you move through the 22nd Psalm, this is how it concludes. Jesus singing, imagine him singing this from the cross, singing from the horns of the wild oxen, you have rescued me. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. From the cross, even while facing death, Jesus was able to sing these songs of scripture. He was able to recall the the holy text and it allowed him to to stand firm in the face of anything that he, he faced. In those moments when words fail us, even when we're facing death, Jesus relied upon the holy text. Do you? I was remembering uh, the life of a a friend of mine, a woman named Janice, who I had the privilege about two years ago to visit Uh, after finding out that she had a terminal diagnosis and she was days uh, away from dying. I I remember being able to go and visit her and I was looking forward to that visit because she was a dear friend. And as I was approaching her house, uh, what would be just days before she would eventually pass, I was expecting something funereal. I was expecting to to enter into a darkened room that would be quiet, that would be, you know, kind of foreshadowing death. And and as I walked up to her her door, I I was amazed by what I was greeted by. I was greeted by Janice herself. And and she greeted me with enthusiasm and she greeted me with excitement. I I want you to get a sense of, uh, of Janice for who she is. This is a picture of her and I want you to see her smile because that's the kind of smile that she flashed as she opened the door when I meant to, to meet her for the, one of the very last times. She's standing there next to her husband, Virgil. But, but when I think about Janice and going to, to visit her in the wake of death and to see her smile and to see her enthusiasm, to see her excitement, I was, I was taken aback. She had this otherworldly kind of strength to her. And, and as I walked with her, she began to move around frantically and to, and to begin to describe how she was feeling and And she talked about how this was a bad thing and she knew that people were sad, but she said that this wasn't bad because she was ready. She was prepared. She was looking forward to what lies ahead, this next adventure. And as she was describing her excitement for for what was coming next, she then pointed all around the room that we were in to her frames and her tapestry, then different kind of hanging artwork and trinkets that she had, all of which pointed to scripture that surrounded her in her home. 
And there was one scripture passage that was maybe more prominent than any other that I saw listed more times than not all throughout the room. And it was from the 46th Psalm that said, be still and, and know that I'm God. You see, Janice, she was living a life where she was surrounded herself with scripture, reminders of God's holy text. And she was so infused and so dependent upon this scripture that, that it changed her posture, her behavior. She was excited about what was coming, even in the face of death. She said that she was ready. I would say that she was prepared. She was like a, a tree planted firmly next to this living stream that would give her strength and, and that would allow her to never to wither, but to prosper always. She meditated on the holy text both day and night. She had the same mind that was in Jesus. This is how we all ought to be. As we strive to become better, as we strive with this restless desire to, to grow, to, to be better humans, to be better partners or, or spouses or, or parents or, or colleagues or disciples, we ought to have this practice where we root ourselves in the daily study of scripture, where studying scripture every day becomes a part of the rhythm of our life because that will ultimately drive us toward God, where we find our rest but this is a challenging thing to do. It's hard uh, to read scripture daily. And it's hard for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons it's hard is because the Bible is complex. There are contradictions inside of it. There's discrepancy within its pages. And, and it's hard to just pick up and start because the, the Bible isn't something that we read typically from beginning to end because the Bible doesn't work like a regular book. It works more like a library. It's comprised of 66 different books inside the one book. And in each one of those books has a different kind of literary genre. Each one has a different author writing in a different time to a different context in a different kind of way. And, and so what that means is that we have to make sense of it. And, and sometimes that causes us to wrestle. And, and we don't get the quick fixes that we're looking for or the easy answers that we're, that we're longing for. And so it takes time to dive into it. And, and as we dive into it and begin to make sense of it, what you recognize is that these 66 books, they're divided in half, but not really in half. They're divided uh, you know, unequally, but there's the Old Testament, which is significantly longer than the New Testament. And, and what is a testament anyway? Why don't we just call it the first half and the second half? We call it a testament because testament literally means that, that it's a promise shared between God and humanity. And so what we recognize about the, the old promise and the new promise is that all of it together points to, to God's promise to love us and to never leave us. The Old Testament and the New Testament is, is to describe the promise that God makes with us. And there's this old promise and there's this new promise. And, and, and regardless of which promise you're reading, what you're reading about is, is God's promise to love us and to offer us the gift of eternal life to never leave us. We read scripture not for intellectual assent. We read scripture not for quick fixes or for easy answers. We read scripture, the old and the new, all 66 books to learn of God's love for us. I was thinking about that. And, and as I was thinking about that, as I was drawn to, to a passage of scripture from the fifth chapter of John, where, where again, Jesus is facing challenges from the Pharisees and, and they're surrounding him and they're peppering him with questions. And, and as they're peppering him with questions, he just kind of pushes pause on the whole conversation. And this is what Jesus says to this group of people that are reading scripture and challenging his understanding of it. He says to them, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there, but, but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am standing right before you and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. 
We don't read scripture so that we would be glorified by our ability to memorize it. We don't read scripture so that we can tell people how many times we've read through the the Bible from cover to cover. We read scripture so that we might find Jesus. So that we might find God's God's picture of of, of the best version of the love that will never let us go. We read scripture to, to experience God's promise of forever love found in the grace of Jesus Christ, that we would be changed because of it, that we might become better on account of who Christ is so that we might strive to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus for the world. And so we read scripture daily as a means of becoming better, of growing in our faith, of, of becoming uh, you know, more fuller or, or, or richly living Christians, disciples, husbands, parents, friends, and co-workers. And so one of the things that we recognize, you want to become better, you're going to read scripture daily. And that's one of our expectations that we have here at Resurrection. We expect our members to commit to reading scripture daily. And you can do this easily at Resurrection by, by going to core.org slash next and by signing up for the daily scripture readings. It's the Grow, Pray, and Study Guide. And, and what that means, if you click uh, to subscribe to our GPS, you'll get a, a message that has a daily scripture passage and, and a devotion and, and, and a prayer that you can read and, and, and grow in the knowledge and love of God through this daily devotion by reading scripture daily. And what's more is that the GPS actually ties into worship. Uh, Each week we we have a GPS daily scripture passages that tie back in to our worship weekend, which means we can carry worship uh, with us into the week. We can read scripture that will remind us of what we experience in worship together to inform how it is that we live every day. We commit to reading scripture daily. And one of the ways that you can do that is by signing up for the GPS. Another way that you can do that is by committing to read through at least one of the gospels, one of the four gospels every year. If you want to grow closer to Jesus, if you want to understand the life and love of Christ to receive this gift of forever love, then you'll read through the gospel, which tells of the story of Jesus his life, his death, and his resurrection, the good news of great joy. So we commit to reading one of those gospels as members of this church once a year so that we would draw closer to Christ in our daily scripture reading. And you can do that with us typically during the season of Lent, or you can do that at any point in time. And I want to encourage you to do one of those two things, to to commit to reading scripture daily by, by using the GPS or maybe by turning to one of the gospels, maybe the gospel of Matthew, to begin to grow in, in your understanding of the knowledge and love of God through reading the gospel of Matthew. If we long to become better, this is what we need to do. And yet at the same time, I recognize that this is hard. You know, Janice is an anomaly for how it is that she rooted her life in scripture. This guy that I met at the gym, it seems fairly otherworldly to be able to read and commit to, to the Bible from cover to the cover for five minutes at the beginning of every day. It's hard to read scripture by ourselves, But I think it was difficult for Jesus to stay planted in scripture too. You know, we see this story of Jesus emerging through the wilderness and and facing temptation by being rooted in scripture. But the first thing he does once he emerges from the wilderness is he seeks out the community around him. He finds disciples, he calls them so that he might not go anywhere alone, so that he might find strength uh, in, in his community, that he might become better together. And so Jesus, he calls the first disciples. And as he calls these first disciples, it's a small group of 12 and, and they go everywhere together. They learn together. They grow together. They love together. They care for each other together. They, they live their life out loud in the world around them together. And in this way, Jesus gives us a model for how it is that we ought to live, the practices that we ought to engage in 
And one of the things that we recognize if you're looking to grow deeper in the study of the knowledge and love of God, reading scripture daily, one of the best ways that you can do that and succeed is by seeking out community, by finding a similar kind of small group that Jesus models for us. And in fact, this is the prototype for the church. Jesus gives us a blueprint for how it is that we're called to live out our life of faith in community with other people. And that's what I love about the Methodist faith. John Wesley, he was the founder of the, of the Methodist movement. It's this movement of a people called Methodists. And, and as it began to take root, it, it began to take root in this series of community kinds of groups. There was classes, there was bands, there were societies. Uh, John Wesley would organize these strangers into these small community groups. And, and, and the seedbed for that, the foundational group for this movement of the people called Methodists was this class meeting. And a class meeting was a group of 10 to 12 people and they would gather together weekly and they would be uh, rooted on, on, the, on the three general rules. And, and as they, would, as they would meet weekly, they would, they would share their life with each other. They would talk about all of their failures, all of their shortcomings, all of their missteps, all of their misgivings. And then they'd wrestle with scripture together. They would study to remember that in all of their missteps throughout the week, that, that God was still with them. They would grow together in the study and the pursuit of, of God's love through scripture. And then they'd challenge each other to live differently in the world. These class meetings, they were, they were full of diverse individuals from different points of, of view, different parts of the world and different ages, different stages. They were diverse, but they would gather together weekly to hold each other accountable, to grow in the knowledge and study of God by how it is that they shared all that they had, but also how it is that they encouraged each other to live differently on account of what they learned in scripture and God's love for them. This is what gave rise to this movement of the people called Methodists. And, and it was this picture of, of small group community growing and multiplying by the power of the Holy Spirit out into the world. And, and what I love about that is that it wasn't a novel idea. This is what happened in the earliest Christian communities that we read about in Acts. They were described by how it is that they lived, the rhythm that they led. The earliest Christian communities were described using the ancient Greek word koinonia. And koinonia painted a picture of what these groups were like. They were fellowships. They were, they were close and they had mutual kinds of relationships. They participated in, the, in sharing and, and in partnership in every facet of life. The earliest Christian communities, they shared common beliefs and core values, but they also displayed a desire to care for one another, spiritual and physical well-being as a community of friends. They were companions. And what we know about the earliest Christian communities because of the way they lived together, the rhythm of life that they operated by, the way that they challenged each other to grow in the knowledge and love of God and then to embody it outwardly, they added people to their number by the thousands. The earliest Christian communities were these small groups. They were these groups of people that cared for one another, their spiritual well-being and their physical well-being. And when you do that, what you're going to find is the life that you're looking for. You'll find healing and peace. You'll find that you're actually better together. You draw nearer to the love of God better together than you do by yourself. And this is powerful to think about the role that, that small groups play. Every time I think about these small groups, I'm reminded of the, the story where, where there's this uh, scene in, in, in Capernaum and, and, and there's crowds pressing in, but this time they're not challenging Jesus. These crowds are pressing in to, to receive healing from Jesus. And, and these four friends, they have this one friend who's a paralytic and, and, and they want to get this friend of theirs in front of Jesus so he can find healing and he can find redemption, the love that he's longing for. And, and so what they do is they, they scratch a hole in the, in the thatch roof of this house where Jesus was and they, and they lower their, their fifth friend, this paralytic, down through the roof to place him at Jesus's feet. And Jesus looks at this paralyzed man and he heals him. But what Jesus does is he heals him on the count of the faith of his friends. 
which means when we gather together, these, these relationships, this koinonia kind of fellowship, these small groups, these discipleship groups, they have the power to heal us, to change us. We become better together on account of our relationships with our friends, people who care about us uh, the way that Jesus cares about us, emotionally, spiritually, physically, holistically. You know, one of the things that we expect at Resurrection is that you would take a step toward small groups, that in addition to reading scripture daily, that you might take a step to, to join in one of these kinds of small group communities. And, and I've been so excited about the movement that we've ex- experienced there across all of our locations. Uh, this past year, we had over 3,000 people across all of our locations enroll in a midweek small group opportunity, whether that was a small group uh, as we name them or, or a Bible study or a Sunday school class or, or another weekly group gathering that we have. We had over 3,000 people engage in a midweek small group experience. And that's an exciting thing to think about because that means 3,000 people have, have decided to take that step to grow closer with each other, to be uh, engaged in community so that we might become better. Uh, empowering each other to grow in the knowledge and love of God. Uh, all week long, I've been, I've been hearing different stories from other people that have experienced small group uh, you know, a- encounters, and I've been amazed by what I'm hearing, stories of transformation and change. So I want to ask you, are you a part of a small group? Is this a part of what you feel like God might be nudging you to do? If not, I want to encourage you to think about that. Last weekend after worship, I had a chance to connect with the Sutcliffs, David and Jennifer and their boys, and, and they described their experience of small groups. They moved here along with their two boys from Texas in August of 2021, and, 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 and they moved here on account of a job at Children's Mercy. And so they found themselves in this new city, in this new state, in this new church, surrounded by all these new people that were strangers, and they wanted to get connected. They wanted to take this big church and, and make it small for them so they could have a place to grow, to have friendly faces. And so they worshiped here for a while and they, and they kept on getting all these different invitations to get engaged, to take next steps. And, and nothing seemed right until this opportunity to become a small group leader presented itself. And they thought that this was the perfect opportunity to grow in their faith, to become better. Jennifer said that we saw this as an opportunity to serve together. And for me, possibly to be able to lead out of some of my experience and for us as a family to have at least a few familiar faces in church. And of course, what we got was more than all of that. We invited people just to come and see. And we said, let's just commit to meeting together and, and see what God, do, God does when we, when we choose just to show up with this group of strangers. Jennifer said that it was awkward at first, but by simply committing to show up, nothing more, there was so much grace. We got to know one another. And, and with time, it made Sunday mornings better as we began to see familiar faces, we began to know names. And then after a while, we, we started sharing meals together and we began to see even more vulnerability in sharing in our lives. We shared where we struggled to see God or where we struggled to follow God more fully. And, and then we began to see God's word shared in new kinds of ways that we had never considered before. We experienced God's love and grace through prayers offered for one another. And we knew the Holy Spirit was with us. And it all started with a commitment just to come as we are, to show up, without any required preparation, one hour, a couple of times a month while our kids are in student ministries and while our, 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 our kids are also at Resurrection Kids. And by showing up and committing to be a part of this small group, our lives have changed. We've gained friends, support, love, grace, spiritual growth, deeper understanding of, of our God and, and our God's love for us and how God calls us to be in relationship with God and with another. Being a part of our small group, she said, has been a gift 
for our whole family, it changes things. It redefines things. You want to become better? We need to engage in habits that will, that will help lead us toward God and, and help lead us to understand who God is and what God longs for us. And God longs for us uh, to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbor uh, in the same way, to love one another the same way that God loves us. And one of the ways that you can do that, one of the ways that you can redefine your life, one of the ways that you can become better is by committing to read scripture daily. And then I want you to commit to join or to lead a small group. By this, you'll find the life that you're looking for. By this, you'll be able to become better and you'll find your rest in the knowledge and love of Jesus. And my prayer is that we would do that together. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we pause and we thank you for the gift of today and for this time, for gathering us here in this space where we can remember your love for us that never leaves us or forsakes us, but that is with us always. And remind us that as you are with us, that you make us better together. You form us and shape us for relationship. And so help us to grow in our relationship with you through the reading of scripture. And then help us to do so in the, in the koinonia fellowship with other people that we will grow closer in love with each other as we pursue you, one with each other, one with you, and one in mission and ministry to the whole world. Guide us, we pray, to redefine life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this week's sermon. We'd love for you to join us again for live worship online or in person. To learn more about Church of the Resurrection, please visit core.org. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.